Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. I want to start off with a little review uh, from the beginning of this year. We have kind of fallen into a little bit of a series um, I'm not a planner. If, if you know me, I'm not a planner. So when we go into a series, I realize it after the series is over that we just had a series. So, uh, so we've, kind of, we've kind of fallen into a little bit of a series uh, since the beginning of the year. And uh, I think it's just been a really important word for us uh, going into 2024. And so I wanted to take just a little bit of time this morning to do a little bit of review. Um, and then we'll, we'll go... Uh, from there into the message this morning. Um, January, the first Sunday of January, um, we started off with this. Before we move into the new thing of the new year, we must first be deeply established in the old thing. The one thing, or as Jesus calls it, the greatest and supreme thing. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If we are not firmly established in our love for Abba, and equally important, although harder to embrace, his love for us, then we can set all the goals and cast all the vision we want and still never enter into the fullness of life. His love has to be the foundation for all of it. That's why Paul, when he's praying for the church of Ephesus in, uh, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says that my prayer for you is to be rooted and grounded, not in doctrine, not in church attendance or disciplines, but he says I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. Then he goes on to say to know the supreme love of the Father. That love is the foundation, not just of our faith, but of our lives. And if we are not rooted in the love of Abba, and that goes both ways, not just our love for him, but understanding the revelation of his love for us. And that may seem that may seem uh, simple, right? We, especially those who have grown up in church your whole life. You know God loves us. We sing the songs. We know the lullabies. We know all those things. But I'm, I'm afraid that, uh, that, that the, one of the greatest hindrances in the church is we don't fully understand the revelation of his love for us. That it's deeper than we could have ever imagined. And until we are rooted in that love, we can cast all the vision. We can set all of the goals. We can do all of the things. But all of it would be for naught if it wasn't for the love of God. It all falls short. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, says that you can prophesy, you can speak in tongues, you can speak in the language of angels. You can, pre you can do all of these things, but if you do not have love, then you have nothing. You are a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. So January 2024, 
before we cast any other vision, before we have a word of the year, before we do anything else, we're gonna make sure that we're rooted and grounded and loved, amen? After Peter, we've talked a lot about Peter these past few weeks. After Peter denies Jesus, he finds himself sitting on the shore days later with a freshly resurrected Messiah. And as they're sitting on the shore of Galilee, after they have lunch on the shore, breakfast on the shore, Jesus leans over to Peter and asks him a question. When he leans over to Peter, he doesn't try to fish for an apology, right? Like, uh, he, doesn't, he just doesn't try to fish for an apology. He doesn't boast an I told you so. Let's, let's be honest, most of us, if we were in that situation, right? Be like, Peter, didn't I call it, right? <laughs> told you you're gonna deny me three times, right? He doesn't boast, uh, boast an I told you so. Jesus doesn't say, he does, it doesn't even go this, this way. He doesn't say, well, G, uh, Peter, since, since you're the rock of the church, you're the, the kind of leader of the disciples, right? You have, you have the gift of leadership. Let's begin to talk strategy now that I'm resurrected from the dead, right? What's the next step for the church? You know, where, what's, what's the vision? Let's, let's develop a mission statement, right? He doesn't say any of those things. There's no strategy at all. When, when Jesus is sitting on the shore with the disciples and he leans over to Peter, he asks him one question, and that question is, do you love me? The most important conversation of Peter's life. Peter, do you love me? We know that when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's in the Greek, there's some wordplay happening here. In the Greek, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? Agape is the God kind of love, the self-sacrificing kind of love. And Peter's reply is, well, Jesus, I, I phileo you. Phileo also means love, but it's a different kind of love. It's a more friendly kind of love. The word phileo can actually, uh, is actually the word for like a kiss on a cheek, a greeting, which is interesting because that's what Judas betrays Jesus with. The word actually there when it says that Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, that word is actually the word phileo. It's love, but it's more friendly. It's, it's a greeting. It's kind of brotherly love. And so Jesus says, or God, yeah, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, well, I phileo you. I, I love you like a friend, or I can love you like Judas did. Because Peter, though he didn't see it at the Last Supper, he can now see that there's this seed of selfishness on the inside of him. There's this root of self-serving on the inside of him. And I love Peter because he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to deny it. He doesn't try to cover it up. And as we talked about last week, he's standing in front of pure light, the Bible says, that, that, that God is pure light. There is no trace of darkness on the inside of him. And so to try to cover up the way Peter feels and the, the thing that Peter knows is there, he knows is just futile. 
He knows trying to cover it up wouldn't do anything. So Peter just lays it out. He says, well, Jesus, I know I'm supposed to agape you, but let's be real. I know what's there. And I can't agape, but I I can phileo. I can phileo. So Peter lays it all out before pure light. What Peter doesn't understand in this moment and what he comes to understand is that we can only love because he first loved us. In that moment, Peter knew what was on the inside of him. And because he knew what was there, he thought he was only capable of loving God to the extent of his failures. And what Jesus is telling him is don't let your failure change how much you think you can love me, Peter. Because you can't love me on your own anyways. You can only spill what your cup contains. And if I'm pouring agape into you, then you have the capacity for agape. That your love for me is not defined and is not measured by your failure or your success. Your love for me comes because I first loved you. So Peter, you have the capacity for agape. Peter Peter never had the problem of honoring and serving God. We see that throughout the Gospels. Peter never has a problem honoring and serving Jesus. But Peter did have a problem embracing the love and mercy of God. He struggled with it. We saw it when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And when Jesus comes to Peter to wash his feet, Peter's like, no, Jesus, you're never going to wash my feet. Why? Because it doesn't make sense for Jesus to wash Peter's feet. He doesn't argue when the prostitute washes Jesus' feet. That's right. That's good. That, that seems like uh, things are in order. But when Jesus, the spotless lamb, washes Peter's feet, Peter's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to honor me. You're not going to sacrifice for me. It's the other way around, Jesus. Peter doesn't have a problem honoring and serving Jesus. Peter has a problem allowing Jesus to wash his feet. And I think so many in the church, we are good at allowing, or we're good at honoring and serving Jesus. We understand worship. We understand honoring. We understand lifting him up. But we have a problem embracing the love and the mercy of God. That he comes to serve us. And to wash our feet. Jesus says something interesting to Peter. He says, but Peter, listen. If you don't allow me to wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. If you don't allow me to serve you. If you don't allow my mercy and my grace to wash over you. If you don't allow me to pour that into you that not only, you, you may be able to honor and serve me, but you can't have union with me. So then, of course, Peter says, well, wash my head and my hands and all of me. 
And Peter learns how to embrace the love and the self-sacrifice, the self-giving of Jesus. Hallelujah. Peter, the thing I love about Peter is that he doesn't ever stop coming to Jesus. And his successes and his failures, when he's been rebuked and when he's been praised, he always finds his way back to Jesus. The only way the darkness in you wins is if you stop coming to Jesus. The only way the darkness in you wins is if you stop coming to Jesus. Coming into pure light doesn't just expose the distortion of who you are, but it also illuminates the truth of who you are. The pure light of Jesus doesn't just point out the faults. And those things are going to get called out and they're going to get, they're going to get uh, pulled out, not just, not just to uh, embarrass or expose, but to eradicate. Those things may come out, but pure light doesn't just expose what shouldn't be there. It exposes what is there and has been from the beginning. And here's where we're going to start this morning. And this is still a little bit of review but it's also a little bit new. If you open your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. He has called us and made his very own beloved children. That word beloved is the word agapetos that is used throughout Scripture. It's, it, the word literally means dearly loved, and I love this part, his favorite. You are his beloved children. You are his beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who you are is that they didn't recognize him. Beloved, we are God's children right now. I want you to see that. We are God's children right now. You will not be any more God's child in heaven than you are right now. That right now, you carry the DNA of the Father. That you can't grow or you, I'm sorry, you can't be any more God's child right now than you already are. You also, I'll say this, you can't be any more righteous in heaven than you are right now. The Bible declares to us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That we are either as righteous as God is right now, or we as, are as filthy rags. There is nothing in between. That he has made us righteous now, and that we are, uh, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. But we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him. We are his children now, 
But what's interesting about this verse is that word children is the word technon. And if you study the Greek language at all, you, you understand that, that our English word children, there's, there's different words in the Greek for children of maturity. The word technon is the word for teenager. So we are God's child now, but we are becoming like something, right? And we've used this example several times, right? That, that my kids bear my image. They look like me. Have you ever seen Maylee? <laughs> She's Amber's twin, right? They look exactly alike. But there's still an immaturity inside of Maylee, right? That is growing and that is maturing and that is developing. We are God's children right now. You can't be more God's child now than you ever will be. But there's still an immaturity on the inside of us. And we are still growing into maturity. And what does fully mature look like? We look like Jesus. We talk like Jesus. We act like Jesus. The way we respond is like Jesus would respond. And so we are growing into maturity as God's children. As a child matures into the image and maturity of his parents. So we are growing in the image and maturity of Jesus. Amen. This then begs the question, what is the evidence that you are following Jesus? What does it look like to be somebody who follows Jesus? I want to say this. It's not church attendance. It's not Bible knowledge. It's not, it's not that you bring the best casseroles to the church dinner, right? Although, if you're going to come to church, if, if you don't come for Jesus, at least come for the food. Amen? There's no better casseroles than church casseroles. What is the evidence that you are following Jesus? Here's the evidence. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? Do you look more like Jesus in 2024 than you did in 2023? Is there a maturing happening on the inside of you? There are some, and this is going to seem like a rabbit hole here for a minute, but there are some who would hear the message that you are righteous now with the same righteousness of Jesus now and the message that you are beloved and the identity of who you are. They would hear those kinds of messages and think, are we preaching greasy grace, right, or, or cheap grace? I've actually heard this before, why don't you preach, why don't you preach more about sin? A little more fire and brimstone, you know what I mean? A little more sinners in the hands of an angry God, dangling over the pits of the fiery flames, and God's holding you over the, the fiery flame when just a string, and he's got a pair of scissors in his hands, and he's ready to cut those if you make one wrong move, right? Why don't we preach, why don't why don't we preach more of that? And here's, here's my defense for that. I would argue that people are very aware of their shortcomings. 
people are very aware of the darkness that you could call, you could call it the darkness on the inside of them or the shadow on the inside of them. They're very aware of the consequences of their sins. But most people are not nearly as aware of their beloved identity in God as they are of their sin. And I want to say this, the most transformative way for, the, the, for somebody to come out of a place of sin is not fear of hell, but of an understanding of the revelation of the love of God for them. Think about this here, this, this analogy. There's, there's two dads that are taking their, their son, their little son to the store. Let's say Meyer. Meyer's cool. So let's say Meyer. The first dad and son, the dad is very stern, right? He's very, very rigid, almost abusive. And the little boy, he's, he keeps in line. He's very well behaved, right? And so they're walking through the store and the dad is walking in front of him and his eyes focus. He barely even realizes his son's behind him and his son is following at a distance. Every now and then the dad looks back with a glare to make sure he's behaving. There's something every time the dad looks back that there's this chill that goes over the son because he's scared of being in trouble. And he's well behaved, but terrified. Then there's another dad. This dad's walking down the toy aisle. And his son is walking beside him. And they're holding hands and they're walking down the aisle and counting to three. And the, when they hit three, they, the son jumps in the air and the dad yanks his arm up, pull, almost pulling it out of socket to make him go a little bit higher, right? And he, the son is just laughing and he's, he's, he's just having the best time in the world. And not only is the son laughing and having the best time in the world, but the dad is just overjoyed by his son and just just loving every moment. The son is almost so infatuated with the joy that his dad is taking in him that he doesn't almost even recognize the toys around him. That son is also well-behaved and following along and doing what he's supposed to do. Both dads, both kids are well-behaved, but one is well-behaved because he's terrified. The other is well-behaved because he's too infatuated with the love of his dad to care about running around the store and misbehaving. Proper behavior to avoid punishment is the shallowest form of love that there is. Proper behavior, let me say it again, to avoid punishment is the shallowest form of of love that there is. I remember once when I, when I was in, oh, no, I was in high school. I was probably a freshman in high school and a uh, freshman, sophomore, somewhere in there. It doesn't matter. I'm, I was in high school and I was in my Brit Lit class. I remember because uh, my Brit Lit teacher, uh, let's say, let me just say, I didn't learn, a th I don't know anything about British literature. So I know a lot about why the toilet is called the toilet because he would go on those tangents, but he wouldn't, yeah, I don't know anything about Brit Lit. So we're in the middle of this class, and uh, there's this young lady uh, that was in, in, sitting beside me, and she was, uh, 
a very proud atheist. And so I thought, man, I'm going to evangelize, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, um, Kirk Cameron, this young lady, you know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to evangelize. And so I'm, I'm telling her, and I had just heard this, uh, CD, um, about, uh, playing rock music backwards <laughs> and how it says evil things and all of this. And, and then the guy gave his, uh, a testimony about, uh, how he spent so many minutes in hell in this vision and how all of these horrible things happened in hell. And so I began telling her all of this, these things about hell. Like if you don't repent, this is what's going to happen to you, you know? And you know what? We prayed together. She accepted Jesus. And I felt real good about myself. The very next day, it was very apparent that it wasn't a genuine conversion. Why? Because fear works for a little bit. Fear works for a little bit. That little boy that I described, that fear is going to work for a little bit, but there's going to come a day where he's going to rebel against that fear. That's why fear or good behavior because of punishment is the shallowest form of love. But on the other hand, proper behavior because of love is the most genuine and pure form of love that there is. If I behave, not because I'm afraid, but because I am loved, there's no more genuine form of good behavior. Hallelujah. You might say, Josh, doesn't this kind of love encourage bad behavior, right? Cheap grace. If I know that I'm just going to be forgiven, then, then, uh, then why not just do what I want? And I would argue this, this kind of love is the only thing that produces genuine good behavior. We thought he was the dad that said, stay in line and face punishment or face punishment. But in reality, he's the dad who is playing hide and seek with us in the clothing racks. Unconditional love is what causes us to be as we ought to be. Let me show you what I mean here as we continue on reading here. Let's start in verse 4. Anyone who indulges in sin lives in moral anarchy. For the definition of sin is breaking God's law. And you know without a doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sin. And listen, we, we've learned these past few weeks too, that word sin there is not just bad behavior, but it's a distortion of our identity. The word for sin in the, in the Greek is the word hamartia, which is a, a compound word. The first word ha, meaning without. The second word meros, meaning form. Without form. So sin is a distortion of our identity. So he doesn't come just to eradicate bad behavior. He comes to eradicate the distortion that causes the bad behavior. Jesus comes to eradicate sin. And, uh, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with him will not sin. Did you catch that? 
Anyone who continues to live in union with him. And it doesn't say only sins every other weekend. It says he will not sin. But the one who continues sinning hasn't seen him with discernment or known him by intimate experience. That word remain there, or the word uh, lives in union, is the word abide, uh, which is the word minyo, which means to remain or to dwell. The one who lives and dwells in him will not sin. (laughs) And we all thought we were just a bunch of sinners. Did anybody else, I've said this before, but I I want some support. Did anybody else grow up thinking, I probably sin every day, right? I'm just going to sin every day. It's just part of life. It's part of being, living on fallen earth, right? It's part of the curse, right? I'm just, I'm, I can't help it. I'm going to sin every day. I remember as a kid laying in my bed at night and praying, God, I pray you'd forgive me. And then I would go through the things I knew that I did that were wrong, right? And then I'd go, and Lord, anything else that I didn't know I did, because I'm sure there's a list, right? Please forgive me for those things. We are more comfortable with the identity of sinner than we are with the identity of righteous. It's easier for us to say we're sinners than it is for us to say I'm righteous. I'm holy. I am without blemish or spot because of the blood of the lamb. But here, John tells us that those who remain in him will not sin. Which tells me that you don't have to just accept that you're going to be a sinner. You don't have to just accept that you're going to sin every day and it's just the way it is. Because those who live in union with him will not sin. Let's continue on here. Delightfully loved children. Actually, I'm sorry. Real quick on this verse again. I know I'm, I'm getting close on time here. The one who continues in, in sin has not seen or known him. That word known is the word ginasco. It means to understand or to have intimate intimacy with. So it's not just a knowing. It's, it's a knowing as as a husband and wife know each other. There's an intimacy there. There's a, there's a deep understanding and fellowship. Then verse seven, it says, delightfully loved children, don't let anyone divert you from this truth. The person who keeps doing what is right. I, I'm sorry, right there real quick. Delightfully loved children, don't let anyone divert you from this truth. Or another trans, other translations say, don't let anyone deceive you from this truth which means that the truth that he's about to say, people are deceived in. It's easily to be deceived from this truth. So let's pay attention to what this truth is. Don't be deceived or don't let anyone divert you from this truth. The person who keeps doing what is right proves that he is righteous before God. Listen to this. Even as the Messiah is righteous. Our righteousness 
is as the Messiah's righteousness. The Bible is mind-blowing, church. But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason, listen, the reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. The reason he came was to undo and destroy. That word destroy is the word raise, which means to annihilate into, into oblivion. To cause to cease to be as though it had never happened. He came to destroy the works of the devil. What was the works of the devil? The distortion of your identity. Of who you are. Every time I read that passage, I cannot help but think of Rod Parsley. Any Rod Parsley fans in the room? Born to R-A-Z, born to raise hell was the message. <laughs> and it was on this, the word destroy. Apparently, I don't have any Rod Parsley fans. All right, cool. <laughs> this is where it gets really fun and really where I wanted to get to this morning. So let me, let me do this, and then we'll go eat some Mexican. Verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin. He has been born of God. That word born is the word geneo. And it means this. To become the parent of. To cause to be born. To be begotten or conceived. This word is the same word used to describe Jesus being born of God in John chapter 5, verse 1. We get our English word, gene, from this word, gineo, to be born. So whoever is born, gineoed of God, does not sin. This is what this is, and let's continue. The word seed there is the word sperma, and you can all guess which English word we get from that word. It literally means offspring and origin. So what is, what is this passage saying? It's saying that his DNA is our DNA. That his genes are our genes. That when it says that we are the children of God, that is not rhetorical. That is not symbolical. It's saying that we are actually his children to the point that we carry his DNA on the inside of us. Why do we not sin? Because we have the DNA of the one who is holy without measure. Why is it that when we walk in union with him, we do not sin, they will not sin? Because as we come into the revelation that we are not sinners, but instead we carry the DNA of God himself, then we can walk in the revelation that I don't have to walk this earth with that darkness on the inside of me because I have been born and conceived of God himself. Hallelujah. Church, that's way better than what you're responding you look like Jesus because you carry his DNA. 
You act like Jesus because you have his genes on the inside of you. It's not that, let me say this, it's not that you never sin. Church, there's still times where you may fall into that sin. But here's the deal. Everything in you bucks against that sin because it's not natural for you. <laughs> I, we, we always find it amazing that Jesus walked the earth without sin, right? Like, wow, how did he do that? He, he walked this earth and never one time sinned. It was easy for him to walk this earth and never sin. Why? Because that's who he was. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't putting on a show, right? Right? We pay, it's, it's easier to be who you are than to act like something you're not, right? That's why actors get paid millions of dollars to act in movies because they're good at being something they're not. And for that matter, some politicians. But anyways, <laughs> it's easier to be, act, it's easier to just be who you are than to act like something you're not. And Jesus walked this earth sinless because that's who he was and here's the deal as we mature into the image of Jesus as we come deeper into the revelation that you are not a sinner but rather a child of God with his DNA on the inside of you then the more and more we grow into his likeness the more and more sin becomes awkward the more and more that thing in us becomes foreign and just doesn't feel right. And, and, and more and more we come into the revelation of, his, of, of, of his, our sonship and daughtership in him. Then these verses begin to make way more, way more sense when it says, those who are in union with him do not sin. That is your nature. That is who you are. The old man has died, behold, all things are made new. You have been re-gened with his genes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You have been re-gened with his genes. Sin becomes awkward as we begin to understand the very love of Jesus. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. I'll close with this. Discipline can only take us so far. Discipline can only take us so far. We can become disciplined people, and it may stop the behavior for a while. But discipline can't remove the root of the problem in you. Discipline can't remove the root of the problem in you. There's only one thing that can remove the root and is the revelation of the amazing, uncomprehensible love of God to you. That's why this message is so important. That's why this message isn't cheap grace. 
Because the more you understand his love for us, that we are truly his beloved, the more we understand that we are his children right now and that he is moving us into maturity, which means looking like his son, the more we come into that revelation, sin doesn't even become a problem anymore because it's not who we are. Father, I thank you for your incomprehensible love for us. Father, I pray that this year, once again, I pray that this year would be a year of a deepening of that revelation. Father, that we'd begin to see how you see us. God, that we begin to understand that we are beloved and begin stepping into that identity. Father, that as we lock eyes with you, you'd begin changing us from the inside out. As I said before, stepping into pure light doesn't just expose the darkness, it exposes who you are. He doesn't just tell us the mistakes. He tells us that we are his beloved children. That we carry his DNA. That we walk in his icon, his image, his likeness. It's like looking in a mirror, the Bible says in, in, uh, in Corinthians. Father, I, I believe that this year we're going to step into a level of walking in holiness and righteousness like we never have before. And it's not going to be because we disciplined ourselves out of it. But it's going to be because we've walked in and stepped into a revelation of God's love for us that we have never walked in before. And as we become fascinated with your fascination for us, sin will lose its appeal. And we'll walk into the fullness of life, the fullness of who we are in you. I'll, I'll even go as far as to say that that is a prophetic word for our house. God, we honor you today. Father, may we never, ever, ever grow uh, lethargic towards the love of God towards us. May it never become common. We give you all the glory and praise today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.